This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. Filling in for Libby Snymer, I'm Jane Brown. Some people progress to dementia at a very quick rate, other people at an extremely slow rate, and they stay having cognitive problems that don't get any worse for a long, long period of time. That's Dr. Nicole Anderson from Baycrest, Toronto's world-class brain health and aging institute. Today we'll hear the second part of an interview between Dr. Anderson and Libby Snymer about living with mild cognitive impairment. The music you're listening to is Leo Spellman's Rhapsody. The piece was written by Spellman just after World War II and was then forgotten about for nearly 50 years. Now it's set to make its Canadian premiere tomorrow night as part of the Ashkenaz Festival at Harbourfront. Today we'll hear Libby Snymer's interview with the now 99-year-old Leo Spellman about his inspiration for writing the Rhapsody and we'll also talk to Paul Hofford, the conductor for tomorrow night's performance. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. There's a famous quote from the late Apple co-founder Steve Jobs. Even people who want to go to heaven don't want to die to get there. And new research shows many people are avoiding end-of-life planning altogether. The latest Canadian census shows people 65-plus are the fastest-growing demographic. But new research shows only 9% have pre-planned their funeral. And fewer than half of those surveyed have prepared a will. The hesitation seems to stem from worry about not being able to afford the funeral, as not knowing where to start. The average funeral and burial costs can easily exceed $10,000. Legendary actress Shirley MacLaine is lashing out at the Hollywood film industry for ageism. The 78-year-old Academy Award winner says Hollywood doesn't make enough films for older audiences. McLean told the BBC that older viewers have no movies made for them. She asks, how many times can you see Batman? McLean went on to say things are done according to money these days. Movie makers now choose profit over vision. Aging empty nesters will help continue to fuel demand and higher prices for condos in the coming years. A new condo report by Genworth Canada suggests first-time buyers and population growth will also increase demand and prices for the compact living spaces. The study says average condo resale prices are expected to rise next year in seven of the eight Canadian cities studied. Toronto is among them. Prices in this city are projected to jump 2.5% to over $312,000. And finally, it seems eating fewer fried foods is not enough to help postmenopausal women keep off the pounds. A new study suggests they need to say goodbye to desserts. 
The research in the Journal of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics found a difference in the habits that led to short and long-term weight loss in nearly 500 overweight and obese postmenopausal women. It's not news that cutting back on sugar and fried foods, eating less often at restaurants, and eating more fish leads to short-term weight loss. But researchers say only consuming fewer desserts, meat, cheese, and sugary drinks was linked to long-term weight loss. Dr. Lauren Stryker at the Feinberg School of Medicine says the findings can help women looking to manage weight after menopause make changes to their metabolism. I'm Jane Brown, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It's a condition that affects half a million Canadian Zoomers. Last week, we talked about how to recognize the signs of mild cognitive impairment, or MCI, which is considered a transition stage to dementia. Dr. Nicole Anderson of Baycrest is one of three authors of a new book on the subject. In part two of her interview with Libby Snymer, she focuses on practical everyday memory strategies. The biggest one is to really pay attention. The basic fact about memory is that nothing gets in unless you're paying attention to it. And so strategies help you, force you to pay better attention. And they can include using visual imagery, so making a mental picture of the thing that you're trying to remember. Another important one is to think about the meaning behind the information. Think deeply about it. So for example, if you're introduced to somebody new, try to break their name down and think about what their name means or its derivation. Just going through that process well cemented in memory better uh, than not doing that. And key there when you're introduced to lots of people is to say their name back to them. You know, so nice to meet you, Libby. And that's and then if I pepper your name throughout the conversation, so Libby. Any other suggestions for, say, remembering where you put things? Yeah, you know what? Our grandmother gave us the best advice on that, and that's a place for everything and everything in its place. Really, for remembering where you put objects, we have to be organized, and things have to have a meaningful location. Uh, otherwise, it's very difficult. But you can, if you're establishing a new location, say you buy something new and are figuring out where is it that this is going to stay in your house, you can use some of these other strategies as well. So using the visual imagery to try to really connect that object to its surroundings and cement that visual image, uh, again, making it a meaningful place that makes sense for that, that object to be. And now moving on to family members. So what are some things that family members should know if you notice your spouse or your parent um, and you think they might be experiencing this? Yeah, it's hard to bring it up. But if it's brought up that, you know, with your concern for your loved one and having that discussion so that you can get medical attention for it, that's very important. Uh, it is tough on the spouse as well um, and the family members. Uh a key symptom of MCI, not everybody experiences it, but a lot of people, is that they start to withdraw and stop engaging in activities that they used to engage in, um, either out of fear that people will detect that they're having problems or uh, that that could just be a symptom and a part of the whole syndrome. Um, but that can have impacts then as well on the family members if uh, the family is not engaging in as many activities. So it's important for family members to get support as well. Any tips for how to broach this subject? I think the key is you know, to bring up some examples and put it in terms of your concern. Um, and what I do with patients is I say, 
I see that you're having these problems. I've detected these problems. But what's important then is to have a medical assessment to figure out whether anything else could be causing these problems because it might not be MCI leading to dementia. It could be something else that's very treatable. So people who have depression have memory problems, but when the depression is treated, their memory improves. People who have different metabolic disorders can have memory problems, but again, once they're treated, memory can be improved. So very common things like thyroid deficiency that is very common for us to have but easily treated, and memory will improve after that as well. Does... MCI always lead to dementia? It doesn't always. And that's cases where people had cognitive problems on the initial testing for other reasons. So it's really important to have repeated assessments to solidify that diagnosis as well as a complete medical evaluation. But are you basically saying that if it is actual MCI, mild cognitive impairment that you have, it will ultimately lead to dementia? If everything else has been ruled out, then odds are it will. The rate at which it leads to it, though, is variable. Uh, It varies widely across people. Some people progress to dementia at a very quick rate. Other people at an extremely slow rate. And they stay having cognitive problems that don't get any worse for a long, long period of time. The bulk of the book is about what you can do to increase your odds of maintaining your cognitive functioning or improving it. Dr. Anderson, thank you very much for joining us. This is very informative. Thank you. You can find Dr. Nicole Anderson's book, Living with Mild Cognitive Impairment, in your local bookstore and online at Amazon.ca. I'm Jane Brown, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. That's Leo Spellman's Rhapsody, written just after World War II and based on the horrors of the Holocaust, the battles of the war, and the hope that came when the fighting ended. It's set to make its Canadian debut tomorrow night as part of the Ashkenaz Festival. In just a moment, we'll hear Libby Snymer's interview with 99-year-old Leo Spellman. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Welcome back to the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Jane Brown, filling in for Libby Snymer. Leo Spellman comes from a family of brilliant musicians. His cousin inspired the Academy Award-winning film The Pianist. After World War II, Leo Spellman wrote his own piece of music based on the Holocaust and the other horrors of the war. It then went forgotten for over 50 years until it was revived for a special exhibit at the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. Now, with the help of the Canadian conductor and musician Paul Hoffert, it's set to make its Canadian debut tomorrow evening at the Ashkenaz Festival. Libby Snymer sat down with Leo Spellman to talk about his experiences. Take me back. Tell me a bit of where you came from and your family and your musical background and what happened when the war came. I was traveling before the war with big orchestras in Poland and I had a very good life. When the war started, I came back to the city where I was born. The city was not small and I would say 50% of the Jews. I was living in the most expensive and beautiful street in Paul in Ostrovitz, like Toronto Young Street. My father was a musician, and when we were practicing music, 
the whole city was standing and listened. They were hungry for music. So that's the way it was. The war started. The Germans attacked Poland. And when they came in, they started right with the shoot people. And next morning, there was hundreds of people dead in the front of every house. So it was very scary. That was the beginning. A year later, they formed a ghetto. And I was engaged in 39 to my wife. My wife's parents were living in the ghetto. So I moved there. They started to take the people out of Ostrovets to Auschwitz. Now, we didn't know where the people are going. They took my father and my sister, their children. We never know what happened to them. I disappeared, and I was hiding some Poles who were my friends. They loved me because of the music. So they helped me. And later on, in 45, the Russians came in, and we were running right away with the Russians to the west, where the Germans wasn't there anymore. I ran away from Poland. I came to Germany, and I contacted some people, and they took me to a city, Furstenfeldbruck. I couldn't play the piano because I didn't play four years, and I practiced in a practice, and I went to the biggest music professors in Munich, and when I was in shape or ready to play, it was always my dream to do something. I started to compose, and it wasn't easy. It took me two years, because the rhapsody is, is made from different melodies, from different from shooting, from crying, from happiness. And I made it. And when I made this rhapsody, in 48, I came to Canada. It was very hard to live. Music was Toronto like a village. There was nothing what to do. And there was somebody, musicians came to listen to me, and they were calling one each other, listen to this guy. And, and everybody was trying to help me. You started playing in clubs. Then the yes. union barred you from playing for about a year, and you waited tables. Yes. And then you went back to being a musician, yes. and you formed a band, and your yes. band became famous, yes. and you were playing all over. What happened to the Rhapsody that you wrote in Germany? Now, with the Rhapsody, when I come to the Rhapsody, because I had a such difficult life to make a living in the beginning, the Rhapsody was laying in, with the baggage as I came and a big things in the garage, and I forgot. The Rhapsody is in the garage. You're in Canada. You're scrambling to make a living. Right. You, it's hard at first, but you become very famous and very successful, and you've forgotten right. the Rhapsody. We are fast-forwarding to 2000. The Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. is preparing a gala. They need music. And they came to me. They want some music. So I figured, what can I give them? I said, where's my Rhapsody? And I went to the garage, and I took it out. So what do you think about getting the Canadian debut of this work on Monday at Ashkenaz? Well, I was thinking of this, that they should play a long time, this Rhapsody here. 
I was listening to Rob Saven today. It's beautiful. Every time my children, when they drive the car, they listen to Rob today. Fantastic talking to you. Fascinating. Thank you so much. You can find tickets for tomorrow night's performance of Leo Spellman's Rhapsody by visiting harborfrontcenter.com. I'm Jane Brown, and you're listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review. In just a moment, we'll return with Paul Hoffert, the conductor for tomorrow night's Rhapsody. He'll play us a bit more of the music you can expect to hear. You're listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Jane Brown, filling in for Libby Snymer. Time now for the International Arts Datebook. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. In New York City, Academy Award nominee Jake Gyllenhaal makes his American stage debut in If There Is, I Haven't Found It Yet. The play is about the complicated life of an overweight teenager played by Annie Funky. It's in previews at the Laura Pels Theater on West 46th Street. To Chicago, where the husband and wife team of Igor Kozlovsky and Marina Sharapova collaborate on large-scale art. Their individual styles merge in a blend of Renaissance technique at the Chicago Cultural Center. And in Paris, see the world's most famous cabaret since 1946. Lido is celebrated on the Champs-Élysées. That was your International Arts Date Book. I'm Jane Brown, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. If you're staying in Toronto for the weekend, then you owe it to yourself to visit Toronto's Harbourfront Centre for the Ashkenaz Festival. I'm joined now by Paul Hoffert, a founding member of the band Lighthouse and the conductor for tomorrow night's performance of Leo Spellman's Rhapsody at the N-Wave Theatre. The reason I got to know Leo is that his kids and grandkids... Uh, came up to him and they said, uh, you know, we know that you had a band in Toronto, but we didn't know you were a composer, and now you're flying around the world for this piece that you wrote, but we can't hear it. Can you make a recording of it? So we'll have something to remember you by. And this is where you came in. And that's where I came in about uh, six or seven months ago. uh, Leo hired me to work with him uh, and uh, conduct and reorchestrate the original work, which was about 12 minutes long, to expand it to be about 25 minutes long so it's easier to program for orchestras and fills kind of a, a half of a program. And he had some music that his father had written for the violin in 1910 and gave me this handwritten piece of manuscript. And so we incorporated some of the music of, um, of even an earlier generation of Spielmanns. But the last part, the, the last third, um, has all of this uh, very upbeat and hopeful klezmer music uh, that leaves you on a really hopeful uh, note. And the very end, he kind of sneaks in an anthem called the Hatikva, which was um, the aspiration for the state of Israel. He wrote this in 1947 when he was a displaced person and had nowhere to go. And of course, a year later, uh, that was uh, the state of Israel was formed.
That was music from Leo Spellman's Rhapsody based on his experiences during the Holocaust and World War II. It will make its Canadian debut tomorrow night at Harborfront's N-Wave Theatre. I'm Jane Brown, and that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. Thanks for joining me today. Libby Snymer will return next week. Please keep listening to the new AM740 as we turn to Mike Filey's Toronto. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.